0: This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Marta McDowell to the program. How you doing, Marta?
1: Hi, Bob. Glad to be here.
0: Marta McDowell is author of the new book, The World of Laura Ingalls Wilder, The Frontier Landscapes That Inspired the Little House Books. Marta McDowell lives, gardens, and writes in Chatham, New Jersey. She teaches landscape history and horticulture at the New York Botanical Garden. She previously wrote the book, Beatrix Potter's Gardening Life, and Marta was author of the book, Emily Dickinson's Gardens and All the President's Gardens. Marta McDowell, again, is author of a a new book, The World of Laura Ingalls Wilder. How do you um, bend Laura Ingalls Wilder to your needs? I mean, what are you you discussing about her life that uh, has to do with gardening?
1: Well, uh, unlike many of my subjects, Bob, Mm -hmm. Laura Ingalls Wilder wasn't much of a flower gardener. Uh, She certainly gardened through her whole life but she was more interested in raising vegetables and things like that. She was a farmer. Um, on the other hand, she did talk a lot about the natural world. So those are the two areas I explore, uh, wilder in terms of uh, nature and ecology and also wilder in, in terms of agricultural history mm-hmm. in America.
0: Now, this year is the 150th anniversary of her birth, I believe. Um, is, is that is that That's true? right. Yeah. Um, yes, she
1: was born in February of 1867
0: in Wisconsin. And uh, the, her story is a fascinating one and, and kind of lengthy. I might just ask you about it. I'm by no means any kind of expert on Laura Ingalls Wilder, but... Uh, Who was she and what did she do?
1: So Laura Ingalls Wilder grew up at sort of the end of the Great Push West. So her parents moved many times while she was a child, uh, always kind of looking for the next place, the next, you know, farm or the next homestead where her father thought, you know, he'd really make it this time. Uh, So she saw, you know, she saw the continent before it had completely been settled. She Mm -hmm. saw the big woods of Wisconsin. She saw the prairies before all the sod had been broken. Uh, And then, much later in life, she started writing these memories down, and they really became a phenomenon mm-hmm. during the 1930s and 40s when the original series of eight novels came out mm-hmm. I and mean, it was it was sort of like Harry Potter you know in our day where <laughs> every child was reading it
0: and Yeah, that's that's you know, a good uh, comparison i'm sure but as you say it was much later in life you wrote them and she began writing columns for what the the Missouri Ruralist and the St. Louis Star, but, you know, eventually they turned into uh, books. And then, uh you don't want to get far afield from her and, and gardens and the things about the landscape, but her, her daughter help, helped her in, in this task. Some say the daughter actually was the ghostwriter of the books.
1: <laughs> well, I think if you read the latest biography that just came out, uh, that will hopefully be put to rest. I mean, certainly her, her daughter was um, a strong editorial hand, and her daughter, who was already an established writer, had all of the publishing contacts uh, to really make her mother's work uh, move from the, you know, sort of that... Uh, place of being a farm journalist to being a recognized national author, albeit a children's author.
0: And, of course, um, the story uh, lived on in American television, what, back in the 1970s?
1: (laughs) That's right. So Little House on the Prairie was first aired in the 1970s, and I don't think it's been off the air since. You know, it's still you know, available uh, in reruns on various cable channels. So the books have never been out of print. The TV show has never been off. That's a pretty good run.
0: I would say. Now, she, I believe, begins by writing about uh, Wisconsin, or the family initially lived in Wisconsin, and your first chapter is uh, clearing the land, the Wisconsin woods. I mean, what does that, that phrase mean?
1: Yes, so that part of Wisconsin, the family settled uh, not far from the Mississippi River, just a couple of miles uh, near a place where the Mississippi widens uh, and is called Lake Pepin. Uh, it's a beautiful area, still beautiful area today. Um, but when the family settled there, it was it was all wooded, and that area of Wisconsin was converted from forest. To farmland, and it's still absolutely lovely agrarian land in that part of Wisconsin. Uh, and it was, it was sort of a timber rush as well. So again, think 1860s. By that time, the east coast of America had really been timbered out. Mm-hmm. Right there was almost no virgin forest left on the east coast, and yet there was this. Great hunger for timber, and so uh, a big, you know, a big industry at the time. And I mean, there's still a, a timber industry in Wisconsin, but certainly bigger at the time uh, was lumber, and uh, you know, it was sort of in the process of converting that part of the state from being forest to being uh, growing mostly grain, mostly wheat.
0: Mm-hmm. So Laura's family, and this would be the Ingalls family, right? Or
1: yes, the Ingalls family.
0: Um, they, you know, her, like her father or her people, cleared some of this forest. Did, that, was that the, the deal?
1: Yes, absolutely true. So they were kind of hacking a clearing out of the wilderness. And in the book, you know, in the novel, uh, it talks about her playing on stumps, and her father always, you know, grubbing out the, you know, the saplings that were coming in. And, you know, it's it's sort of amazing to me when you think about just the physical labor involved in cutting down giant forest trees, mm-hmm. all done by hand. Uh, you know, his his brother uh, lived next door, and so they, I'm sure they did some of the work together, and they would have had you know, draft animals, but, but certainly they weren't using chainsaws.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Now, your second uh, uh, chapter, Preparing the Soil, and if I'm reading it correctly, a New York farm? I don't know, She they moved to New York or, or no?
1: Well, no. Actually, in the series of novels, uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder diverts in a very interesting way. So the whole first book, the main character is Ingalls, and you start the second novel, Farmer Boy, and sh- Laura Ingalls is nowhere, and suddenly it's this little boy with an unusual name, Almanzo, and it's about the Wilder family. Uh, this was about Laura's eventual husband, although it doesn't say that, it just, you know, you kind of have to go with it. Right. Um, but again, an interesting story about an established farm way way north in new york state so it's almost to the canadian border Uh, and you know it then goes over their family and the kind of farming that they were doing there and again if you're interested in american agricultural history the early books you know use very traditional techniques the father in farmer boy is sewing by hand they are you know Cutting and binding grain by hand—you um, know—it talks about everything from how to grow potatoes to how to raise a giant pumpkin for competition in the fair. Uh, so it's very, very rich in detail, and and she was really a—I uh, think—a master of
0: that. Mm. And she must—I mean, she learned that from her husband, or well.
1: Yes, she learned it from family stories. Again, think about life before, um, you know, all of our various media that we have now. Sure. Uh, One thing you did in the evening was you told stories and you told them over and over again in that true kind of folklore uh, process Mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, things are very vividly colored and that's what you remember. So.
0: Now, back to the Ingalls, and I believe the next your next chapter is Harrowing the Prairie of Kansas. They go from Wisconsin to Kansas?
1: Yes. So they had a very nice little farm in Wisconsin, uh, but Charles Ingalls was something of a wanderer. Uh, you know, he had, he had wanderlust. She said, my, my father or Pa always had itchy feet. Uh, and Pa shared this with his, a lot of people in his generation. So in researching this book, it was interesting for me to go back and read other pioneer accounts. You know, there are lots of wonderful collections of letters and diaries. And, you know, read some of the old newspapers and really learn about this kind of Western fever. You know, it was like everyone was going there, and I think people were talking about it. And, um, you know, instead of having to hack your way out of the woods and keep chasing back the forest, you could have this idea of openness, Mm -hmm. right? It would be so much easier. (laughs) Yeah. So off they go in a covered wagon and make their way from Wisconsin to what today is Kansas, but then was Indian territory. And, you know, he starts out with taking a piece of land and building a log cabin on it.
0: Mm. And it probably wasn't easier, or was it? I don't know.
1: Yeah, it wasn't easier. And as it turns out, Charles Engels didn't really have claim to that piece of land. Uh, There was a lot of back and forth in washington in those days about indian treaties and uh you know who was going to own the land and whether they were going to have uh you know the osage indians stay in this part of indian territory or move which they eventually did move uh down to oklahoma where the osage reservation is today Mm -hmm. um and so the Ingalls can't stay there it's you know again it's not really their land and so they actually go back to wisconsin for a period and then move from there next to minnesota
0: yeah and what happens in uh, minnesota
1: well in minnesota again he he makes a go of it he uh actually buys a piece of property that someone else had homesteaded and um you know, plants a farm. They live in a dugout for a while. So I got to learn all about uh, construction techniques for building with sod bricks.
0: <laughs> oh, you mean, a dug, you mean a dugout is a house dug out of the soil? Is that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so this particular dugout was, and, and it's the name of her novel, on the banks of Plum Creek. So you can imagine, Bob, the back walls being dug out. Uh, you know, being made out of the bank itself, and then the front walls being made of sod bricks, the roof being made of willow boughs with more sod put back on top of it. So it really was uh, you know, sort of a an earthen house.
0: Isn't that uh, something?
1: Yeah, so the prior owner, who was Scandinavian, had built this sod dugout um, you know, building with grass roofs and things is Uh, A traditional building technique uh, in Scandinavia, and uh, they lived. The Ingalls family lived there for a little while until Mm -hmm. Pa built them a house um, made of timber.
0: Oh, so they didn't stay in the sod house in Minnesota,
1: not for too long. I don't think Laura's
0: mother was too keen on living in a house. (laughs) I wonder about that, yeah. We will continue in uh, just a moment with Marta McDowell, author of the book, The World of Laura Ingalls Wilder The Frontier Landscapes That Inspired the Little House Books. You're listening to the Historians Podcast. We depend on your contributions of financial support to keep going with the podcast please make a donation online at GoFundMe.com forward slash historians2017. Or you can send a donation in the mail. Make the check out to me, Bob Cudmore, and send to 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. And thank you very much. We're talking with Marta McDowell, author of the book The World of Laura Ingalls Wilder, The Frontier Landscapes that Inspired the Little House Books. We've uh, followed uh, Laura Laura Ingalls Wilder uh, for for a while, and uh, eventually they moved to Smet, South Dakota, uh, or the Ingalls family does. By then, is she Mrs. Wilder?
1: No, no, that happens a little bit later. So the Ingalls family, Minnesota was tough for them in terms of timing, their part of Minnesota was ravaged by Rocky Mountain locusts, who you know they came and basically ate everything green, not just the farm plants but all of the wild plants as well. Uh, they tried Bur Oak, Iowa, for a while. Uh, tried running a hotel. He tried running a, a mill for a while, and then they eventually move out to Dakota Territory. Uh, Pa gets a job uh, as being sort of paymaster at a railroad camp.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was part of the Great Dakota Railroad Boom, and uh, so he moves the family yet again. Um, you know, so they're involved again with the conversion of this new territory, um, along with the way the railroad pushed across the country and formed all these little towns uh, including DeSmit um, which is in the eastern part of what's now South Dakota and so they settle in a place that eventually becomes a little railroad town um, and he does uh, claim, he makes a homestead claim which he does prove up on so he um, I guess he does Charles Ingalls wins his bet with the government if you will. Uh and everywhere that they live you know Laura Ingalls Wilder later writes about nature and really the what we call the ecosystem today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that I found really intriguing about mm-hmm. rereading these books as an adult and then going back and doing research about you know well was this factual or uh, you know was it not uh, and how did she represent
0: it well how uh, how did she how did she do i mean did she write uh, correctly about these places
1: yeah and actually i was amazed you know when i went back and compared to period maps and you know sort of the meteorological data and other accounts of the plants, you know, including people like Lewis and Clark, who had sent back a lot of plant specimens. Uh, She really did manage to capture it to the point where I think it's not too much of a stretch to class her as a nature writer in addition to being a wonderful children's writer, just because of the level of detail that she managed to put in there.
0: Mm. Well, well, living in those days, and you know, being basically farmers, they dealt with the the landscape.
1: Yes. Yeah. It wasn't, you weren't far away from things like the weather and the plants and animals. Um, but she, she manages to include a lot about the various kinds of trees in different places. Uh, certainly the wildflowers, which she always had an affinity for, uh, and, uh, there's a wonderful painting, a reproduction is included in the book called The Prairie Was Her Garden of a woman in front of a claim shanty with a bouquet of just, you know, prairie picked flowers. And so she does mention a lot of them. I I did an extensive inventory of, you know, every plant mentioned in her various writings that she was either acquainted with or grew
0: herself. Yes, in fact, uh, you have a, a many uh, pictures in your book, some uh artworks some that are uh, photographs uh, some that are historic photographs
1: yeah the visual research Bob is one thing that I find uh really rewarding um there are over 200 images in the book um some from the novel you know illustrations from the novels that people uh will probably be familiar with uh but a lot of historical images photographs um you know, botanical drawings, newspaper clippings, uh, because I think that it's a very visual topic. And if, you know, if people are like me, you know, I'm from the East Coast, so I'm not as familiar with these Western settings. And so I wanted to make it something that would be uh, really visually
0: informative Mm -hmm. and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And... uh after they get to South Dakota, and I said Smet, but you said something different, I think. But what, what, where's the place? Yes, they... it's,
1: it's D-E-S-M-E-T, and they pronounce it uh, in South Dakota, DeSmit. De-Smit. <laughs> which surprised me.
0: Okay. DeSmit. But they um, stayed there, right? I mean, I don't know if she lived uh, the whole rest of her life, but the family stayed in DeSmit, South Dakota, for many years.
1: Yes. So... Uh, Charles and Caroline Ingalls finally set down roots, and that's where they stay. Uh, In one of the the books, it it talks about Pa wanting to keep going, to keep going to Oregon, uh, and Ma sort of putting her foot down, (laughs) that, you know, no, this place was just fine for her. And so uh, he does prove up on his claim They farm for a while, then he builds them a house in town that they move to, uh, which is after Laura Ingalls and Almanzo Wilder get married, which is the very end of the series uh, in these happy golden years. And that's where it does end. Uh, Her novels end with a sort of happily ever after. Um, Her real life, of course, goes on and Mm. uh, is a much harder go of it, um, which I think she didn't feel was appropriate for children. Um, There is a... a, She did write a manuscript that she never submitted for publication that was put out after her death um, called The First Four Years. That's almost grim, you know, what she and Almanzo went through in their early married life. So there's... uh,
0: he was sick or he was injured in an accident or something like that?
1: He got diphtheria. They both did. Um, and he never completely recovered. He was partially lame for the rest of his life, although he certainly, you know, just made do. But he always walked with a cane. Um, she lost. They lost a the son the next year, so I have to think that that's because Partially, she was weakened from the diphtheria as well. Uh, the territory went into a period of drought, which we know happens, but it had been really good years in terms of rainfall and went to a really dry period, so the harvests were terrible. And then their house burned down, and basically they lost all of their worldly properties. Oh and then they started to move, Laura and Almanzo. So, you know, her family stays in smith uh, they start moving around um, and eventually settle in the Ozarks, in the western part of Missouri. Really? Huh. Where they moved in the 1890s, and they lived out the rest of their lives. Uh, so, again, the vast majority of her life was something I knew nothing about until mm-hmm. I started researching this book, uh, where they did make it, uh, you know, as a small farm in Missouri
0: right.
1: and then eventually she writes these books
0: and but even before that she didn't she? at some point she works for uh the a farm loan association processing government loans
1: yes she did so again if you're interested in agricultural history um you know she gets a sort of hand in in various ways along the way uh, yes, Laura Ingalls Wilder. She had a lot of jobs through her life, so she certainly wasn't a person who uh, just worked at home in the home. She uh, was a teacher. She was a seamstress as a you know a young person. She uh, you know helped uh, quote sit claims because. If you were going to prove up on your homestead, you had to actually live on it for so many months a year. Um, so she did a lot to try to earn a little cash money.
0: Did she live to see her books selling tremendously, or did that help her all, or wasn't that didn't that happen?
1: Yeah, she lived till 1957. So oh. you know they. They own a car, you know, she has a radio. Um, And the book, you know, the books came out in the 30s and 40s, and she was answering fan mail, you know, well into her late 80s, so into the 1950s. So she certainly knew that they were going to stick. Um, I think there would already even been some interest in a television show, Uh, but that, of course, didn't happen until much later, um, now, you know would she be surprised if they lasted this long
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know D- did- they, she go ahead I-,
1: I think she sort of captured an american a myth a fairy tale I don't know you know they're they're history uh they're not it's not a a biography mm. um but it's certainly all based on her memory. But she did she did kind of edit out the details that she didn't think were appropriate for young
0: audiences. For, for children, yeah. As you say, she's recording important information about the past. I mean, it's history.
1: Yes, and they still resonate, Bob. And they resonate about a part of history. If you think about, well, you know, is there any other series of books uh, you know, American books like this uh, that's been so long-lasting, and I can't really think of
0: one. And she is probably on to a great trend in the the American psyche, this idea of wanting to move places and you know, wanderlust or, or whatever it is, the movement west. Uh, and of course, they kind of went north and south and, in their travels. Yes,
1: and and she does kind of emphasize that that Western push. She doesn't really talk in the novels about them going back and forth. You almost get the feeling, no, they're all, they're moving in a beeline, right, where they really sort of fluttered around a little bit more than that. Um, and, again, she captured the continent and what it looked like, you know, what birds were singing, what animals they came across, in a way that most of us wouldn't have access to in any other way.
0: Mm. Did she continue to garden?
1: Oh, she did, yes. You know, uh, there's actually about one picture, one photograph of her, uh, at least so far as I've found, actually in the garden, and she is, uh, you know, white-haired and picking her peas. (laughs) on Rocky Ridge Farm in Mansfield, Missouri. Okay. Uh, so, yes, you know, she always was interested in plants. Uh, she loved her oak trees and the landscape uh, on their farm. You know, the Ozarks, is it's bumpy. It's not like farming on the prairie. Uh, and she always had her windows without curtains so she could look out and see these kind of moving pictures of nature.
0: Marta McDowell is author of the book, The World of Laura Ingalls Wilder, The Frontier Landscapes That Inspired the Little House Books. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.